I titled the sermon, The Dividing Line, The Dividing Line, and I couldn't help but, but think this picture captures well where we're heading this morning, uh, The Dividing Line. Luke 12, 49 through 13, verse 9, page 872. Let's just begin here with, with the question, peace or division? What is it? It's an amazing thing Jesus says. He begins by saying this, and, and remember, this is all continuing in the flow of where we've been. This is all the f- flowing in this message, this one message that we've uh, diced up into a number of weeks. He says, I came to cast fire on earth and would that it were already kindled. I have a baptism to be baptized with, and how great is my distress until it is accomplished. Jesus gives us a bit of a window here into his own soul, into the the workings of his inner person. Both divinity and humanity coming together in the person of Christ. And so you see this this real uh, battle against the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak, right? You have this, this, this work, and he is pushing his way toward Jerusalem. He's heading there. He speaks about casting fire on earth. And all of us are like, well, wait a second, Jesus. I thought that's what we were talking about when you return. Are you talking about right now? This little paragraph comes in the context of judgment. He's speaking of judgment that is to come. But it's not just coming at his return. It's, It's coming upon his own work. I think... All of these realities here in this paragraph come together in one place. You see the the gospel as the fire. The the fire of judgment is functioning both in the gospel and the fire that refines and, and purifies is also functioning in the gospel. At least it seems that this flow of thought is here. He's saying, listen, the gospel is going to melt and it's going to harden. The gospel is going to purge sin and make holy in some, and it is going to come as judgment to punish others. The baptism he speaks of is his work on the cross, right? To absorb the wrath for all who look to him in faith as Savior and Lord. That is a a, a baptism of fire, as it were, that he is about to take on. Paul speaks of this reality as we are commissioned to carry the gospel. This is how Paul describes uh, Christians as they go through the world. We, believers, we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one, a fragrance of death from death to death. That's those who are perishing. That's the smell of the gospel. It's putrid. It's horrific. How dare you talk about, how dare you call me a sinner? What do you think this is? Judgment to come, right? From one death to death, but to another, it's the fragrance of life to life. The glory of God in the face of Christ. Friends, we don't know when we represent Jesus, when we carry the gospel, we don't know how it's going to be responded to. We, we can't control that. The Lord is. He's in control of all of that. We're called to go. We're called to shine. We're called to speak. This gospel has a, a dividing effect in the world. 
his road to Jerusalem. I, I found it fascinating. He speaks of his distress. This is the anguish of his soul. He is torn. He wants to accomplish this work for the, for the joy set before him, but he also knows this work is hard. You think of the garden the night before he was crucified as he prayed and, and sweat, even tears of, of uh, you know, droplets of blood, such an intense weightiness to this work. He knows full well right here, way before that. He knows what's coming. He knows his mission. And the anguish of his soul is, I wish it was already accomplished, but I'm going and I'm going to be baptized. I'm going to take on that wrath, that punishment. That the fire of the gospel would for some be a purifying fire, a refining fire, a fire that would make them holy and deliver them. He goes on and he says this, Do you think that I have come to give peace on earth? And, I mean, here we go. We're coming into Christmas. All of us are like, um, yes? What? Wait, peace on earth, goodwill to men. I, I thought that's what we sing, the angels, and right? Jesus says, no, no. I tell you, but rather division. I came to bring division. From now on in one house, there will be five divided, three against two and two against three. They will be divided, father against son and son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother, mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. Over Jesus. Hmm. These are hard words to try to process. I thought... I thought the Lord desired unity. I, I thought peace was the goal. A and the reality is, yes, friends, we will have peace with God through Jesus Christ. But there is never a guarantee that we will have peace with men. In fact, quite the opposite, right? We've seen so many times along the way, he's like, listen, don't be surprised when these people hate you. The question really begs, who will hold the highest loyalty in our heart? Will it be your spouse? Your child? Your grandchildren? Your boss? Your father or your mother? Who holds the highest degree of influence in your life? To whom will you bow your will and no one else? The answer is Jesus and Jesus only. That is the only answer for the Christian. At the end of the day, any other relationship is subservient to Christ as Lord, Master, Commander. He is the chief, the King of all kings. He is the Lord of life. And we bow before Him. I find it difficult to know how to help when a married couple is responding differently to Jesus. You have one who is on fire for Christ and just eating up the word and, and delighting to come and learn and grow and, and, and a spouse then who is like, who, what are you doing? Who are you now? I don't even know who you are. I don't like this Jesus. Can we just, can we just like go back to the way things were? The answer is no. The answer is no. The question begs then on Sunday, well, what are we going to do? 
And the answer is, for the Christian, worship. Go be with the church. Well, what if my spouse just doesn't want to come? You can't control that. You want to invite them. You want to be peaceable. You want to be uh, winsome, right? But you are called with your highest loyalty to love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, to be with His church, to be serving active, to be a part. And So do what you can. Do everything you can to be there. We are never called to submit in sin. Okay, so for, for wives who are married to unsaved husbands, the call is honor the Lord above that unsaved husband and live your life in such a way that it's a witness to him and pray that God save him, but don't ever submit and, 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 and sin, get the idea that you're honoring the Lord by submitting as he leads you into sin. That is not what Jesus calls us to. What about kids? Obey your parents, Right? Here's the problem. What if your parents are leading you into sin? What if your parents are, are calling your life in a way that's ungodly? You're, they're directing you to do things that are in, 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 you're out of step with the Lord. Your highest loyalty is to Jesus Christ. Honor Him. Do everything you can to put Him first. Now, this is complicated this is challenging. Sometimes it's, it's one of those brainstorming sessions. Okay, well, how can we do this in this situation? What does this look like? It's not always easy, but it is a must. It's a requirement. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Don't stay home because your kids don't feel like going to church. <laughs> Please. Jesus is worth far more than that. And parents, we need to teach our kids what value there is in gathering with the church. Hold a high bar in public worship, in personal holiness throughout the week. Hmm. There are families who have come to the church through their children. I love that. Mom, we should go today. Oh, I don't know. I don't know. I'm tired. No, Mom, really, we should. We should go. Be in church. Okay. Yes. Way to go, kids. Put Jesus first. He is the dividing line. There are many cultures where this is a death sentence. Honestly, I mean, to follow Christ in some of these cultures not only means you are written out of the family, you are treated as, as if you were dead. In some cultures, they'll kill you. Your own parents will kill you for choosing to follow Jesus Christ. And vice versa. We read in Matthew that children are delivering their parents up to death for following Jesus. Jesus is the dividing line. We have to understand this. Friends, we've got to be comfortable with this in a world that tells us that tolerance is the highest esteem. We bring a divisive message. It's the reality. It's what it is. It is as if light from darkness. It will divide. You will be hated, hated, hated by all for my name's sake. Jesus never sinned and he was crucified. We carry his name and imperfectly so. 
I go back to this because this is not permission to be a jerk, okay? You will be hated by all for his name's sake. That doesn't give you the right to just behave like an absolute moron, okay? We are tasked to carry peace, unity, love, uh, you know, pour yourself out. So the, the divisiveness is in the response. It shouldn't come from our arrogance or our, you know, fist pounding and, you know, that kind of thing. We are to carry this message faithfully, boldly, un- uncompromisingly, right? Unapologetically, but humbly, winsomely, with love. If possible, so far as it depends on you, if possible, and it's not always possible, right? It's not. Sometimes you do everything you can, and there is no peace. The goal is to live peaceably with all, knowing that you will be hated by all for his namesake. This is the great tension of the Christian life. Never surrender truth for peace. There is no peace when we surrender truth. There is no evangelism if we pull back on the gospel and make it palatable for the the lost soul. It is offensive, and it must offend before a Savior is needed. And at the same time, keep loving. Turn the other cheek. Show what love looks like. He died for them, saying, Father, forgive them. And he calls us to do the same. Now the coming storm, the coming storm, Jesus is just going like shotgun mode here. Just these, these couple verses each of, of all different aspects of, of why we should be paying close attention. Verses 54 through 56, he also said to the crowds, when you see a cloud rising in the west, you say at once, oh, a shower is coming. And so it happens. And when you see a south wind blowing, you say, there will be a scorching heat. And so it happens. Here he comes. You hypocrites! Do you hear his voice here? You've got to hear Jesus shouting this to the masses. Hypocrites! You know how to interpret the appearance of earth and sky, but you don't know how to interpret the present time. These are very blunt and direct words. Jesus speaks these words in love to wake them from their sleep, to to snap out of it. Hey, wake up, everybody. Sorry, I woke the baby. (laughs) Open your eyes. Heed the warnings. Jesus has been warning us for weeks now, hasn't he? I mean, this is like one week after the next. Be warned. Be ready. Don't wait the time is now. How do you know this isn't your last day? Fool, tonight your soul may be demanded of you, right? I mean, it's just week after week. Hmm. I was thinking about a, a storm, like a, a, a wall cloud coming in over the city. When you see that, especially if you live in the Midwest, that's a, that's a real issue there, right? I mean, you... You're like looking for the dog and the kids, probably not in that order, the kids, then the dog, (laughs) and you're finding somewhere to get underground. That's what he's saying. Hey, do you not see, you know how to study the clouds, you know, look, there is a storm that is coming and it is going to destroy you. 
What are you doing? Heed the warnings. What are the warnings? Well, the words of Christ carry these warnings. Fulfillment of prophecy. Think of the Old Testament. Fulfillment of prophecy as Jesus was just like one after another, fulfilling all of these anticipated of old prophecies. He is, he is the Messiah. It's me, he's saying. I'm on the scene. I'm performing signs and wonders. Have you ever seen those things before? Pay attention to the signs. Don't miss the wonders, but don't get stuck there. Don't treat those as a meal. Treat those as an opportunity to bow before the Messiah. As he teaches the crowd, I imagine there were some who were leaning in and their eyes were fixed and they felt the weight of his words and they were saying, what do we do? How do we respond? What what should we do? And there were others, glossy-eyed. Huh? Clouds? What? What's he talking about? Right? Just whatever. I wonder when we're going to eat next. Text. Check the game. Oh, friends, we live in the same situation. Life flows just day after day, week after week. Oftentimes, when I gather at funerals, people are staring at the loss of a loved one, and they are like, that's real. What do we do? We have to open our eyes. We have to look around. We have to really consider what is life? What is death? What is heaven? What is hell? What is just, right, and holy? What is awaiting me whenever I am to die? And am I ready? Hmm. Settle soon or you'll have to pay. Verses 57 to 59. Settle soon or you'll have to pay. He says this, Why do you not judge for yourselves what is right? As you go with your accuser before the magistrate, make an effort to settle with him on the way, lest he drag you to the judge and the judge hand you over to the officer and the officer put you in prison. I tell you, you will never get out until you have paid the very last penny. Now, for those who think this is an argument for purgatory, it's not. Okay, that may, this may be the closest passage where even you could even conceive of an idea like purgatory. Purgatory is not biblical. It is not a reality. There is no one in purgatory right now. The pain of the very last penny is impossible. That's the point. The debt is far too great. You will never get out. You will never finish paying the offenses for your sins. We're all guilty. Jesus is calling out our guilt. We don't stand a chance in court, right? You know, sometimes people who are trying to defend themselves, oh, I think I got a pretty good chance. And everyone else is like, no, you don't. No, (laughs) you are dead meat, right? Really, you should settle. You should settle today. Don't let this go before the judge. It will not end well. These are gracious, loving words of Christ. Think of his view, his perspective into the reality of our situation. Settle today. Settle soon. Move quickly. Don't delay. 
Today is the day. Settle out of court. What does it look like to settle out of court? Well, here's the reality. The wages of sin, what we have earned, our wages that we have worked hard in sin to earn, that's death. That's, that's death. That is the sentence that, that is ours collectively and eternal punishment. However, the good news is the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. That is what it looks like to settle. Well, what do you mean? Well, the work is done in Christ, right? The work for us here today, it's finished. He did all the work. That's what he spoke of preparing to do. Trust him. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. What? You mean I don't have to dig myself out of this hole? I don't have to earn my way? No, th th this is the good news of the gospel. You could never do that. You would never pay the last penny. Only in Jesus. Only in Jesus. If you hear his word as I speak it today and you put your faith in him, believe him, he is your savior and Lord. Listen to the reality of your life. This change is real and it can happen in this room today. He does not come into judgment but has passed from death to life. That's the best news you could ever hear. Guilty sinners, that's us. We have every reason to be in hell forever. Rightly, justly, under the wrath of God. But God has made a way for guilty sinners like you and me to be forgiven. And all we have to do is place our trust in Jesus Christ alone and say, save me. I trust you. I turn from my sins. I, I'm looking to you. And the judgment that should befall me he is fully satisfied in his work on the cross. That's the gospel. Repent or perish. If ever there was a sermon that would carry the title turn or burn, it's this passage. I mean, seriously, repent means turn. Turn. Turn from, turn to. Perish, that's burn. Right? So, I mean, sometimes in our, in our day, we have this, oh, it sounds like turn or burn preaching. Um, friends, this is Jesus speaking in love, boldly, directly, and calling people to turn from their sins and be saved or perish in their sins and burn in hell forever. Our sensibility of, of this, oh, you know, maybe that's just an old way of thinking. No, it's not old. It's real. It's real. And we should think the way Jesus thought. Listen to this passage. There were some present in the crowd, and what a fascinating thing. It's almost like current events hour, right? Some, they raise their hand, and they, they, they tell him, they tell Jesus about these Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices, something that had just taken place. Now, there's no other historical record that we can read from the time Josephus didn't write about this, although he wrote about Pilate and some horrible atrocities that he had committed. This is not one of them that he wrote about. So the scripture we, we rely upon as uh, the account of this 
Pilate had mingled blood, uh, the blood of these men, with the sacrifices that they offered. And Jesus says, do you think that these Galileans were, were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? And then he says this, no, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will likewise all perish. Wow. Okay, so we go from current events to a pin drop moment. Jesus interprets immediately as he hears about this account, this horrible atrocity that occurred. By the way, we have to just notice this. Um, Again, Luke is introducing us to Pilate. This is first mentioned here. This is a very common thing in Scripture. Whenever you see for the first time a character mentioned, here now we have Pilate on the scene, and it's an atrocity that he has committed. Apparently some Galileans were there at the temple. They were, they were offering sacrifices. Pilate directed Roman soldiers to go in and slay them as they offered their sacrifices on the altar. Their blood mingled with the blood of their sacrifice. The only modern-day similarity that we could think of would be that we are partaking in communion, right? We have the cup, and, and you know, soldiers come in and kill all of us, and our blood mingles with the cup. It's a horrible thing. Well, how do you process that? In this day, as in our day, and, and Job's time, it was often the conclusion that, well, boy, these guys must have done something really bad. I mean, wow. The assumption is that this is judgment from God and that their sin must have been really horrible, so, so much greater than every other Galilean because they perished while offering sacrifices. That's a terrible way to go. And then the step right behind that is, I thank you that I'm not like those Galileans, those horrible guys. Sounds a lot like Job's friends. Job, good people don't suffer like this, right? What did you do? Come on, you can tell us. Just confess your sin. Clearly, you have done something to warrant all of these things that have befallen you. That's small thinking. That's small thinking. The, the kind of thinking that Jesus calls us to is not outward pointing the finger and, and, and comparing and contrasting. He's simply saying, look inside and ask the question, what do I deserve? What do I deserve? Unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Those are some pretty sobering words. Repentance is his point. That's the push. That's the goal. Repent! And then Jesus brings up this other current event. Those 18 on whom the Tower of Siloam fell and killed them. Do you think they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Exact same phrase at the end. Apparently, there was a tower that they had built in Jerusalem, the Tower of Siloam. We don't know about this, where it was, but it was a big tower, and 18 people were crushed as the, the tower fell down and smashed them in Jerusalem. Instantly died. People again Wow, that's so random. I mean, what had they done? They must have just done some terrible things. See how quick it is to point out? 
atrocity, accident, or old age? Here's the reality, guys. Death is what we deserve for sin. That, that is what sinners' wages are. We, we have earned that wage. Death, it's coming for us. It's coming. We don't know when. It could come today through an atrocity. It, come, it could come today through an accident. You know, a, a jumbo jet could plow through this building and kill us all. Or your heart could simply stop beating. Or you just get old and die like normal. That, my friends, is the point. He's saying death is coming. Are you ready? Judgment is, is, is part of our life. That's why funerals sharpen our attention. What do I deserve? It is in the face of this that he calls us then to repent, to turn from our sins, to trust Christ, to look to him for hope. There's a way out. There is a way to live even though you die. There is a way that if the tower were to fall on you, you can say, it is well with my soul, right? There's only one way, only one way. It's Jesus. Turn from sin, turn to Jesus. Here is repentance. It begins with contrition. We've covered this before. Thomas Watson, a dead guy from way back, he wrote awesome stuff on, on, on the topic of repentance. Contrition. This is when I feel the weight of my offense against God. My sin is, uh, is not a small thing to God. He is infinitely holy and so even the slightest infraction is warranting of eternal hellfire. Think of that. And I've committed far more than one sin. Contrition, the weight, this is something that is to be felt. I feel sorrow for my offenses. Oh, Lord, how great is my sin. And then confession, agreement with God. I agree with you that what I have done is wrong. It's sinful. It's horrific. It flies in the face of everything that you are. I have mishandled your image. I have drugged your image that I carry through the mud. I, I have sinned. And then you turn to Christ, right? Repentance. You, take, you have a place to go, friends. You don't have to just stay in condemnation and live there. You take and you carry all of the weight of that and the sorrow and you lay it at the foot of the cross and you say, I'm putting confidence and trusting Jesus as the one who made provision for all of my sins, that sin included. And then correction. You walk the other way. You turn from what you were doing and you turn to Christ. So this is the way I was walking in sin. Repentance is not, oh, this is probably not the best, but hey, keep going. No, no. That's called grieving the Spirit. That's called settling in the dark, walking in the dark. Repentance is turn into the light of Christ and walk with Him. Walk in step with Him. Obey Him. Now, the last few verses here. God's patience has a purpose. God's patience has a purpose. He told a parable. Okay, so all of this is just flowing. His 
point is the same, his emphasis is the same, and then he tells this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard. He came seeking fruit on it and found none. No, fr- no figs, no fruit. He said to the vine dresser, look, for three years I have come seeking fruit from this fig tree and I find none. Cut it down. Cut it down. Why should it take up the ground in my vineyard, right? The vine dresser answered him and said, Sir, let it alone this year also until I dig around it and put, a, on, uh, and put on manure, right? He's going to fertilize it. Then if it should bear fruit next year, well and good. But if not, you can cut it down. Why would Jesus tell this parable here about the fig tree? The call is that those who carry his name are to bear fruit, right? That is the call. So what do you do if you have a fruitless tree? We should be concerned, first and foremost. This meets us here today in a very stark and and, and jolting kind of way. You're not just a Christian because you say you are. Faith in Christ has a display in a change in your life, right? That is, it is going to show itself. Now, there might not be fruit right away, and it may take time to grow, right? We're three years in. This fig tree has not yet had any fruit on the branches. And the, 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 the patience of God here is, let's fertilize it, we'll put the manure around it, and we'll wait another year. What's the goal, though? His patience has a purpose. Fruit, that's his goal. Sometimes God will use the manure to fertilize our lives. You find yourself in a situation that stinks. It could be the love of God. Seeking to fertilize the roots of your life to bring you to your knees so that you begin to take seriously obeying Him, following Him walking with Him, trusting Him, bearing fruit. He will shake us. He will wound us. He will bring us down. He will strip from our hands all of these wimpy idols and wastes of time that we gather around and collect in our lives. He will do that because He cares. But don't misinterpret His patience. From John 15, if anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. The the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. By this, my Father is glorified. By this, by what? That you bear much fruit. And so, here's the word, prove to be my disciples. A disciple of Jesus Christ, one who's trusting Christ as Lord and Savior, is is going to, in a sense, prove that by the fruit in their life. This is so assuring when you look in the mirror and you say, Lord, you're growing me. I am not who I used to be. Look at what you're doing as I surrender, as I humbly bow and obey and trust. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, 
goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. These fruits begin to grow in our lives as we abide in Christ, as we obey Christ. Abiding is obeying. Abiding is obeying. Trust and obey. Trust and obey. Patience is not permission. Just because you have been able to coddle sin in a certain way for a period of time does not mean God's okay with that. It doesn't mean that he's going to just sign off on that. Well, you know, oh, we'll just let that go. You just hold on to that one. It'll be fine. We'll just call that not a big deal. No, that's not what he's saying. He's saying today, deal with it. Turn from it. Repent. The goal is fruit. The goal is fruit. There will be many who attended church. There will be many who called themselves Christians who stand before him and they hear these words as no fruit is on display. Depart from me. I never knew you. Workers of what? Lawlessness. That should scare us. It's loving. That should scare us. That, that, should, that should cause us to assess, look in. Where is fruit, Lord? Where are you working? Where am I refusing to bow and address sin and turn from it? i just tell you this morning, if you have sin in your life and you are making excuses for it and you're, you're just kind of saying, well, it, I mean, I haven't been struck by lightning yet, so it, it must not be that big a deal. Trust me. You may be in the fourth year and the chainsaw may fire up soon. Don't presume upon the grace of God. Deal with your sin today. There's a place to go with it. There's hope for all of us who are sinners. Take it seriously. Don't play games with God. He'll cut that tree down and throw it in the fire. Now, no one who is truly saved is going to make a practice of sinning, right? if If you claim to be walking in the light but you live in the dark, you're a liar. That's the whole point. You have to come to that realization. Wow, there's something inconsistent here. I'm wearing the label Christian, but I really enjoy the darkness. Maybe the label isn't actually accurate. If that's the case, if that's you here today, there is a path to walk. Just turn to Jesus and trust Him as Savior and Lord and start to obey Him and walk in the light with Him. There's hope. 2 Peter 3, 9 through 10. Oh, so much of God's heart on display here. Look at this. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness. But what is it then? He's patient. He's patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. The heart of God is so gracious. I'll give you another year. It's been three years, no fruit. Another year. Put some manure on it. But don't forget the second part of this. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. And the heavens will pass away with a roar. And the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved. And the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. 
Do you see how they come together? His patience, yes, praise God for it, but never take advantage of it. Take him seriously. Bend your knee and run to him in repentance. The echo of John the Baptist's message. Bear fruit. I love this, this bringing together. Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Like, th- that's what it looks like. This is who I was. This is the dark. This is where I used to love to hang out. Now I'm saying, I am a tree planted in his garden. I want the fruit of his likeness to be hanging on the branches of my life as I am clinging to the cross every day. And when I sin, I call it sin, and I run back there, and I find the grace of God in his promise once again, all the way through. And so our response this morning, friends, where do you stand with Jesus? I think it's important that we ask this question, and, and really there's a twofold application to this. Jesus has addressed both those who are unbelieving and both th- those who would say they're believing, but not bearing fruit, right? For those who are here and you have yet to bend your knee to Jesus as Lord and Savior, to turn from your sins, today's the day to do that. This is the day. What's amazing is how simple it is. It, it's almost just, it's almost too simple. I'm, I'm saying, Lord, I deserve death. You have made a way. I trust you. I, I don't want sin. I want life and freedom and joy. I'm looking to you. Save me. Save me. And you will pass out of judgment and into life. For those who are here and, and you've been wearing this, this religiosity, right? This, this, I'm just busy, I'm, I like Christian radio, I got the, the t-shirt, you know, I do Christian things. But at the end of the day, when you look inside, your heart is sitting over here, happy in the dark. I would just call you to be honest with the Lord. Just be honest with Him and lay it down. Leave all that garbage and come into the light and find what freedom and joy look like in Jesus. Taste and see. Oh, He is good. Let's pray. Father, we give thanks and praise to You for all that You have done through Jesus, our Savior and Lord. We pray that You would help us as we seek to carry this this gospel fire with faithfulness in a world where we know division will occur. Oh, find us faithful, Lord. Hold us up. Help us never to compromise Your good gospel, the, the hope of life as we carry it through this world. Lord, use us to bring life and, and salvation to the lost. I pray even now as this gospel goes out that you would bring life in this place for those who listen. I pray if there would be any believers here who who have made a, a, a home in darkness that they would be addressed by these words as well. Thank you, Lord, for loving us with direct, bold warning to turn and repent and trust you. 
We give praise to you that sinners like me and, and all of us here can, can find forgiveness through Jesus Christ, that you would love us this way to give us this opportunity. We don't deserve that. Oh, but you are so good. You are patient. And Lord, there is a day coming, and it may come sooner than we all realize, where everyone will give an account, and everything will be exposed. And we pray that in that time, we would all stand firmly planted in your garden, abiding in Christ, delighting to bear fruit, in keeping with repentance. Accomplish this, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.